Good morning. The Gospel according to John is where we are, chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, turn there with us, uh, with me together. John chapter 10 is where we find ourselves this morning. The Invisible Made Visible is the series in which we are preaching through the Gospel according to John. Today we're looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, next week we'll look at verses 11 through 21, and that will bring us actually to the end or the conclusion of the Feast of Tabernacle, Feast of Booth's narrative that actually began back in chapter 7. We'll look at that for a moment this morning. This summer, what we're going to do is we're going to do two more uh, sermons today and next Sunday, and that'll bring us to the end of June, bring us to the end of that narrative, and then we'll jump into about two months later, uh, John chapter, two, chapter 10, verse 22, it's on the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah. We'll jump that in September. So this summer, we're going to take a break, and we're going to do a series called, Did God Really Say That? We're taking a break from expository preaching, in which we like to do here. The pastoral team will repent and mourn throughout the summer, and then get back to the true biblical preaching called expository preaching. Um, but no, actually, it's, it's going to be dealing with some questions, or at least some sayings and thoughts that Christians say, and whether it's true or not. Um, actually, it would be a great time to teach some in-depth Bible doctrine. Don't tell anybody, because they freak out when they hear Bible doctrine. But it'll be an opportunity to do that. We're going to ask questions like, did God really say he'll never give you more than you can handle? Some of you know that that's not true just by life itself. Um, did God ever tell us that he will help those who only help themselves? Or God wants me to be happy and healthy and wealthy? Or... We are all God's children in this pluralistic culture. We hear that all the time. Or, or maybe bad things happen to good people, something else we like to kick around. One of my favorites is, when you die, God gains another angel. Don't understand that? We'll look at that. And finally, did God ever say, don't ever judge? Matthew 7, taken totally out of context. So that's where we're going to go uh, this summer. So it'll be some fun in July and August, and we'll jump back into John uh, chapter 10, verse 22, in September. Let's read the Word of God. John 10, 1 through 10. Bible's in the back as we dismiss the kids. You guys, anybody doesn't have one, grab one. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel this morning. I'm not going to put the verses up. I'm going to read it, but if you have a Bible, that'd be great. John, the Gospel according to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, quite plainly, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the thief did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus talking, verse 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. May God add a blessing to this reading of his holy word this morning. So kids, you're dismissed, children's church. Um, we are in John 10. 
Lord, bless you as you go, as you learn more about Jesus and the good news of the gospel. John 10. Let me just quickly bring everybody up to speed. John chapter 10 uh, really begins back in chapter 7. Jesus goes up quietly in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. The feast is a week-long feast, and Jesus goes up in the middle, according to John chapter 7, the first few verses. It creates quite a stir. The religious leaders are like, who does he think he is? You can see immediately as Jesus shows up at the feast that there's animosity and anger and separation from the religious leaders. And they think, who is this guy? John chapter 7, verse 37, the apostle tells us now it is in the last day of the feast. So a couple of days later. John 7, 37. So from John 7, 37 to John 10, 21, it's the last day of the feast. It's a couple of days after the Feast of Tabernacle got started, the Feast of Booths. Remember, it is a celebration of the ingathering of the harvest, the fall harvest for Israel. It is also a time, very important time of the Feast of Booths where they remember and recall all of God's good provision for them while they were in their wilderness wandering. They made booths, they made tabernacles of branches and leaves to live in in this temporary shelter, reminding the people and the children of Israel of all that God has done for them in their 40-year wandering. If you remember, there were two rituals that were important. The first one was the water ritual. When the priest would pour water in the altar, it is then that Jesus stood up and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Moses gave you water from the rock in the wilderness, but I am the living water. I am the true and better living water who completely satisfies your souls. The second ceremony which we looked at, if you remember, is called the illumination of the temple. Four giant candelabra were lit in the court of the women, also known as the treasury. It reminds the people of the Shekinah glory, the presence of God in the cloud, if you remember the story of Exodus, that, that guided and protected and watched over the people of Israel. This reminded them of that, and it is then that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And as we get into chapter 8, what we find is after that statement, the religious leaders are not happy with Jesus. And he proclaims this glorious truth, and he says to them, Before Abraham was, I am. If you remember that a couple of weeks back. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you. No, he said, The, the, the religious leaders come to Jesus, and, and, and they said, And Jesus tells them, Abraham saw my day and was glad. I'm trying to recall. And they say, You're not even 50 years old. How did Abraham see your day? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We're going to get into that later day. Jesus is making it clear that the God of Israel is now in human form standing before them. Look at chapter 8, verse 59. It says, they picked up stones to throw at him, to kill him. You don't pick up stones to hurt him. And Jesus left the temple. It is that context of him leaving the temple that Jesus pursues and sees a man born blind, and he heals him, right? He heals them. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you'll not walk in darkness. You have the light of life. And then he illustrates the reality of his personhood by taking a man born blind, never saw any light in his entire life, and he heals him of his blindness. 
Okay? Like, remember, this is before government intervention and help. And then what happens is he's kicked out. He's ostracized. He's excommunicated from the community of God, right? It's not going from one church to another. It's not 21st century. The very life of the Israelites was centered in the temple. He was kind of even worse off than he was before. Then in chapter 9, verse 35, after he's been excommunicated, uh, this 33 verses we looked at last week, Pastor Intern Chris did a great job, at this controversy that this, this whole excommunication, this whole healing of this blind man took place. And at the end of that controversy, in verse 35, Jesus seeks the man, heard that he was kicked out of the synagogue, and sought him and found him and reveals his true identity as the son of man. The blind man says, who are you? He says, I'm the son of man. And next we see in verse 38 of chapter 9, he worships him. It is no accident that Jesus pursues this man, finds this man, loves this man, ministers to this man, finds his blind beggar and shows us now that he is the door of salvation. Chapter 10. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. See the connection. I want you to see it even greater as we move forward. But look at me, look with me in verse 6 of our text. I have it up on the screen. In verse 6, Jesus says, this is a figure of speech, which he used with them that they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay? So Jesus explains in verses 1 through 5 a story, a, a figure of speech, but they didn't understand that. That word figure of speech is the, is the word peroma. It means it, it, it's, it's an enigmatic language. It's a hidden language kind of puzzling saying uh, with symbolic meaning. It could be a parable. It could be a proverb. It could be allegory. John doesn't really say. Most commentators, including Calvin, would say that it's a parable that Jesus is teaching in verses 1 through 5. A parable means something, parable means to throw alongside. So Jesus is teaching something or showing a a picture of something that regularly happens in the life of Israel, and he's laying it alongside spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. This is what life is, and this is the experience we have, and here's the spiritual truth I'm trying to teach you. Now, it's not the normal narrative parable that he teaches elsewhere, but it is a metaphor in which Jesus is pointing to something in this story. I mean, he's using this language, uh, excuse me, he's using this figure of speech, and you need to catch this, to teach us a couple of things. Number one, most importantly, is Jesus is showing in this metaphor, in this, in this language in verses one through five, something about himself and something about himself and the relationship with his people. John chapter 10. Something about himself and his relationship with us people. And secondly, something a little bit about us. He calls us sheep. Not lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. Okay? Because <laughs> quite frankly, that's what we are. Sheep. We want to be tough guys. We want to be tough ladies and women that think we know everything. We got it all figured out. But when the mask of pride is really removed, we're nothing but sheep. Helpless sheep who need a shepherd. And then he wants to tell us something also about the Pharisees. The ones that he is standing before telling them this metaphor. Okay? So, here's our outline. 
That's, our, that's, the, that's the introduction here as our outline. Um, the conventional culture, we're talking about what was going on in that day. The historical context, uh, there's a couple of things we need to see to really understand this, this metaphor. And then verses 7 through 10 is really the application uh, of what Jesus is trying to teach us. Okay, so that's where we are. First, let's look at the familiar picture. What's going on in the culture? It's a scene of a sheep farmer. Jesus says in verses 1 through 5, truly, truly, remember that? This is solemn, emphatic statement. No wiggle room. God has spoken. Truth is being declared. Period. Truly, truly. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Right away, Jesus wants us to see two aspects of the story. The, the one who enters through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. You see that? We'll get more into it. Verse 3. To him... The gatekeeper opens the door. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought them out on his own, brought them out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Doesn't say the sheep argue with him. The sheep follow him. Now, a lot of times, we're hard-headed sheep. We want to argue with them. But what Jesus wants is he leads, we follow. No argument. For they know his voice, a stranger they won't follow, but they will flee from him. They do not know the voice of a stranger. So this overall metaphorical parable is that Jesus knows his own, loves his own, cares for his own, calls his own, and they follow. A couple of things, let's talk a little bit if we can, culturally. In order to understand this, we have to go back to the first century for a moment. In the ancient Near East, is a common for sheep to place, be placed in a sheepfold. Some of you, if you have an NIV, it's called a sheep pen. It's actually this courtyard, usually near a house, boarding it with a stone wall. Many times on top of the stone wall is a, a, a what they call, did I have the picture up? Nope. Huh. Can we go back? Is there a picture of the, of the, uh, the sheepfold there? I had it. Huh, go on. Okay, that's okay. Um, there's a house there's a brick wall around the house with an opening and inside on top of the brick wall there is a briars these, these, these plants um, uh, kind of thorns on top of the brick wall to keep people from coming in and out and you know that people coming out and in both keeping them safe it was, it was, it was not only just the, um, the weather but there was wolves there were animals looking to attack the sheep. And as we see Jesus teaching, there were thieves and robbers who would want to enter the sheepfold and to, you know, take care of business and steal the sheep. Okay? Every morning, the shepherd would come into this opening where the sheep were, and he would call the sheep by name. But what's really cool, and I think what Jesus is pointing to here in his text, is two things. One is, many times the sheepfold, this brick, this rock wall with one opening in and out, many times they would share it. The community would share it. So you would have a large enough pen at night that three or four or five different families would use this sheepfold and they would hire a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper um, would be the door. And there would be no literal door in many places, but just he would sit in the middle of the door and he would watch these multiple families, these multiple sheeps. So the, so the shepherd would come in the morning the gatekeeper would recognize who he is. 
and step out of the way, and then the shepherd would call his sheep with, a, with, a, with a different kinds of uh, language, and each sheep would respond to each shepherd, and they would be divided and go toward the shepherds. Now, I have a video, which I want to show you, um, because it's very important that we understand this. Now, I just want to point out as well, you may read the New Testament here, that the shepherds were not just men, right? Anybody can think of any shepherds that were females in Scripture? Remember Rachel? Jacob's wife met him while he was in Genesis, while Genesis 29. talking about feeding her sheep or getting water. Zipporah, Moses' wife, another one who was, who was you know, feeding a, a shepherd. Um, we, we can't... I don't, I'm not sure where you're from. I mean, I'm from the city. Uh, you know, I, there's not a whole lot of farms down in, in near New York City. Uh, maybe some of you have been out west or live out west. And in the 21st century, what you'll see a lot of times is, at least I'm told, shepherds and farmers driving their sheep, their cattle, with four-wheelers. They'll go out in the yard, and they'll, they'll get the four-wheelers, and they'll drive their cattle. They use horses, four-wheelers, some from what I've learned, actually use dogs. They've trained the dogs to surround and to bring in the flock at night into the safe place. That's the 21st century. That is not ancient Israel. I have a video that shows a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on and how the shepherd comes to the sheepfold and calls his own sheep by name and they follow. Watch this video. One more time. Oh, one is. Watch. Oh my God. Was that cool or what? Oh my God. <laughs> watch the shepherd go. Watch what the sheep do. Follow. Isn't that cool? I know not the greatest use of oh my God, but it is a God thing. Right? He had, he had a sack. They're following. I mean, if he had, was carrying a lasagna, I'd probably follow him too. But 
In Near Eastern Israel, it wasn't driving, it was following. The shepherd would call and walk, and they would follow him. He would sound out in a particular call, and the sheep would actually, as I said, if there was multiple shepherds calling out their sheep from a sheep pen, they would actually split and go to their proper shepherd. Absolutely amazing. So that's kind of the, the historical, excuse me, the, the um, cultural uh, context I want us to be. Let's look at the historical context for a minute. Because there's something very important that Jesus is drawing to. We have to see this. All right, so a little history today, but that's okay. Uh, it'll help us for next week as well. There's something very important that, that the rabbi Jesus, the Bible teacher and master Jesus, has in mind as he describes this familiar scene in verses 1 through 5. Jesus was not only, in this is a historical context, Jesus was not only describing a, a typical pastoral scene, but he was pointing to many, many Old Testament passages and pictures of God raising up his leaders from among his people who were shepherds. Who were shepherds in God's people in the Old Testament? I'm thinking of two major ones. You, you know? Moses. David. Shepherds. It's not an accident. God expected leaves of Israel to shepherd his people. And this image of shepherding is an extremely important picture of being a leader in God's for God's people, Numbers 27, at the end of Moses' life. He goes before the Lord. It's right before the Lord takes him out. He shows him the promised land. And, and this is what Moses says to God. He asks the Lord to appoint a man over the congregation. I'm leaving. I'm coming home to glory. He says, appoint a congregation, dear Lord, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in at the congregation of the Lord may not be a sheep that have no shepherd. You see, shepherding implies not only an intensely personal relationship between God's people and the leader, but there's a style, there's a model of leadership that, that is really exemplified by Jesus Christ himself right here. I read somewhere this week that the actual word leadership came to be or, or came to fruition or the teaching of leadership was actually from this imagery of shepherd and sheep, leadership. The shepherds go before the flock, they encounter problems, they make it safe, and they make room and prepare and walk and care for their flock. The shepherd is supposed to know the setting, lead the sheep, and they follow him. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, God himself, creator God himself, calls himself the shepherd of his people Israel. And we are the sheep of his pasture. So here's where context matters. Because Jesus in John 10 is clearly drawing these religious leaders in John 9 that he had this conversation with in John 10. And he's bringing them into this Old Testament metaphorical um, idea and thinking of shepherding. There's no doubt in my mind, I'm going to read it for you in a minute, that Jesus had this very text. Remember, he's the word of God who became flesh while he was teaching in John 10. Okay? Remember, John 9. Jesus brings light to a blind man. The man worships him. You remember how he brought blind sight to him? He spit on the ground, a creative move. He took dust from the earth and he created mud and he put it on his eyes and he washed in the pool of Siloam, the living water, and he came back seeing, pointing to the reality that Jesus is the creator. And when he comes back and he could see, did the Pharisees rejoice? 
No. Did the Pharisees give glory to God? No. Did the Pharisees even care about the man who could not see and now could see? Did he care about his spiritual being, his emotional being, his physical well-being? No. Unfortunately, there are a lot of shepherds like that. They care for their own skin, their own power. Brothers and sisters, particularly brothers, shepherds of the flock, or men, it's Mother's Day. Are you shepherding that way in your family? You loving, caring, protecting, providing. They feel safe in your care. They couldn't get it. Why? Look what it says, verse, chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus said, judgment came into the world. That those who do not see may see, and those who say Say they see, maybe come blind. Some of the Pharisees near him uh, heard these things and said to him, huh, it's sarcasm here, you could tell. Are, are we also blind? Is that what you're trying to tell us, Jesus? And Jesus says, yeah, you know, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that, you say, now that you say you see, your guilt remains. You think you have 20-20 vision, but you're really blind. So not only have you rejected the Son of God, you have kicked out and treated one of God's people. With contempt, the man born blind. And Jesus, remember, there's no verse and chapters in, in Scripture when John wrote it. And Jesus goes right into this testimony. You see? You think you see? Or you want to ask if you're blind? Let me see if you get this. Truly, truly, I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Ouch. Ouch. That's you, Pharisee. That's you, shepherd of Israel. If this scene makes anything plain, it is the utter unfitness and the utter um, um, just total disintegration of the word shepherd for Israel who is supposed to feed their flock. Now, this is not new. Jesus' denunciation of the shepherds not caring for their flock in the face of these Pharisees and these religious leaders who refuse to care for his God's people is nothing new. It's all over Scripture. I want to take you to Ezekiel. I don't have it written down. It's too long. I'm going to read it for you. Ezekiel chapter 34, if you're following along. Right after Psalms, a couple of books, you'll find Ezekiel chapter 34. Here's the prophecy. Now, remember context. Remember what we're talking about. Remember the scene Shepherd, sheep, Jesus teaching, speaking to the Pharisees. Now listen to this. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Talking about a prophet, not, not the son of man, but a son of man. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds of Israel. Okay, you following me? Oh, he says, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourself. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You who eat the fat, you clothe yourself with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak, you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The stray, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. You could see Jesus healed you, get out. John chapter 5, a paraplytic man begging for 38 years. Jesus heals them, they become more angry. Tell me he's not talking about them in this text. So, verse 5 of, of Ezekiel 34. 
So they were scattered. There was no shepherd. They became food for the wild beasts. They didn't protect you. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on the high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek after them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Dads, husbands, as I live, declares the Lord, surely my sheep have become a prey and my sheep become food for all the wild beasts since they were no shepherds. And because my, shepherd have no, have my shepherds have not searched for my sheep and the shepherds have, not fed, have only fed themselves. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. All you false, hurting, abusive shepherds. Behold, I am against you. This is the Lord talking. I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be for food for them. For thus says the Lord, I, I myself, both I and I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his own flock when he is among his sheep, I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from places where they've been scattered in the thick clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the people and gather them from countries. I will feed them on the mountain by ravines and inhabited places of the country. I will feed them, listen, with good pasture. I will feed them, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their gazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land and rich pasture. They shall be fed on the mountain of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself, I'm just reading from Ezekiel. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy the weak, the fat, and the strong, and I will feed them in justice. Now, I'll stop there. The very last verse of chapter 34 of this text of Ezekiel, of which I believe Jesus had full well aware of in his mind, as did the shepherds and the pastors and the leaders of Israel in that day, it ends with this, verse 24. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will make a covenant with them, a covenant of peace. David, covenant of peace. Shepherd of Israel to feed the flock. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Matthew 1, Luke 3, Jesus is from the genealogy and from the lineage of David. He's the promised deliverer, long-awaited deliverer and fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom. Jesus is making it very clear in John that he is the embodiment with all the characteristics and expectations attached to this salvation historical biblical figure of Ezekiel. Jesus is him. He is he. He is the door. He is the good shepherd par excellence. No one like him. Verse 7 and 9 I am the door. Verse 9 I am the door. Verse 11 I am the good shepherd. Family, let me just remind you, we've talked about this, I'll just make it quick. When Jesus says, I am the door, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the light of the world, that term, I am, 
points back to Jesus' identity, self-expression that God used with Moses in Exodus 3. It's very, very important we see this. Moses says to God, who is it that's sending me to go to Pharaoh? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. When Jesus makes that statement, he's making it very clear. No matter what your Jehovah Witness friends tell you or other false religions and false cults that say that Jesus is a created being, Jesus himself is declaring his divinity when he says that. Plain and simple. We saw before they picked up rocks they wanted to stone him for it. They knew what he was saying. And so do we. Now, what's so incredible about this is that not only is the I am ever existing, never having beginning, eternal, but with accuracy. Look at me in verse 3 and verse 4 again. The shepherd hears his, the shepherd calls them by name. He calls them out. They hear his voice. Each one has a name. Verse 3. Look at John, verse, um, John chapter 10, verse 3. This is a beautiful passage. This is just an absolute beautiful passage if you belong to Jesus. Listen, look what it says, if I can find it. Okay, here we go. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he, the shepherd, calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. When he has brought out, out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they hear his voice. It's this intimacy. There's, there's this love and care for the sheep. There has been multiple times that I've read over this week that the Palestinians actually would have nicknames for their sheep. Rich Cole's not here, I don't think, this morning, but he would love to be a shepherd. That guy's nicknames for everybody. <laughs> and I got to say, honestly, Italians do. So if this was an Italian shepherd, it might be like, yo, Jimmy the Squid, come on, let's go, you know? Louis Bag of Donuts, and the sheep would come by name. Now, God knows everyone's name, Okay? Some sheep didn't come, we'll look at that in a minute, but God knows your name. It's not like God has a roster in the universe and just goes over it every day just to make sure. He's like, I forgot his name, let me check. All right, don't happen. When Jesus talks, I call them by name, they hear my voice. We're talking about intimacy. We're talking about ownership. We're talking about the care and the protection and the love that the shepherd has for his sheep. You saw it in the picture. They know him. They love him. He loves them. He calls them by name. Now, notice in our text, not all the sheep come. The immediate text, Jesus is talking about the sheepfold of Israel. He's talking about the Jewish people at this moment. We're going to talk next week about the other sheep from a different fold, the Gentiles. But here he's saying there are some in Israel that will hear the voice of Messiah, will trust the Messiah, will love the Messiah, will come when the Messiah calls. Not everybody will come. And we know that because they're not coming. The Pharisees in which he's talking to, as of this moment, I don't know what their eternal life is, you know, I don't know where they are now, but they didn't understand, they didn't hear it. They didn't follow. So here's the question for us this morning. We move on to our third point. Here's the question. Do you this morning, do you this morning have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that he knows your name in intimacy and in love? That's the question for us. Do you read the word of God? Do you read the scriptures and hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you through the scripture? Do you read the scriptures and hear the voice of God teach you and show you his promises? Do you cherish the God who reveals himself in his word? I hope you do. 
God is speaking to us. And if he knows your name, he has promises and hope for you this morning. And he's calling you. Do you know his voice? Do you hear his name? Do you, does he know your name? So we have its culture, we have its context, and finally now we can go, all right, what does he mean by the, the contrast? What does he mean when he says, so Jesus again said to them, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Right? One through five, we got a picture, we got this story, we got this familiar scene. Verse seven, he gets into it and he starts breaking it down and he says to them, truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me, both the Pharisee that was standing in front of him and, and all the fake messiahs, all the people that came before me are thieves and robbers. Sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out. He'll find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus says, came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Four things, and, we'll, and we're done. Salvation is the promises and the benefits of being part of the sheepfold of God. Salvation, safety, satisfaction, and surplus. Number one, I am the door. Look at the salvation. Verse 9. If anyone enters me, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved. A proverbial way of saying and insisting that in order to receive eternal life, you must come through the door, which is Jesus. Okay? Jesus doesn't say, I am a door. You say, yes, he did. No, he didn't. Jesus did not say, I am a door in which you must enter and you might be saved. He did not say that. He said, I am the door. Big difference. Very big difference. The exclusivity of Christ, very different. John 14, Jesus will say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Same thing. I am the door. If you want to come in, you come through me. And the exclusivity of Christ alone for salvation, we're going to talk about this in our summer series as well, um, I realize is... Um, it's, it's, it's pushed up against in our culture. There are times that people don't want to hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and the only means to the Father. People don't want to hear that this morning. But I have to say, speaking to primarily Christians here this morning, we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't proclaim and demonstrate the exclusivity of Christ and wear it as some badge of pride. Okay, you know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is, although it is true, he is the way. We can't wear this like I'm saved and you're not. Right? That's a gross mischaracteristic uh, mis of the exclusivity of Christ. To say, I'm saved, you're not. Sheep aren't bright. You're a sheep. You're welcome. <laughs> sheep can't help themselves. You're welcome. Do you know what I found out today? Which I didn't know. Well, not today, but this week. And if you're a sheep farmer here and I got this wrong, this is what I read, you could tell me, but I don't, think, I don't think so. Sheep can actually fall down and roll to such a place that they can't get back up again. So they're laying on their back, their legs are up in the air, and there they are, helpless. I don't want to drive the analogy too far, but that's kind of funny. <laughs> right? Jesus is the only door to salvation, but it's not a reason for pride and self-congratulation. It's, it's really for the reality of our brokenness and thankfulness and gratitude and above else, graciousness and love to everyone. 
We don't shrink back from the exclusivity of Christ. He is the only means of salvation, but we demonstrate it and we declare it with great humility and brokenness. And we say with the fellow man, I've fallen, I can't get up, just like you. We have to be careful. Jesus claimed to be the God-man. Jesus claims, and if he claimed to be the God-man who died for sin, who rose from the dead, then he is the only way. I believe his claims. I believe the eyewitnesses of Scripture. I believe that Jesus died for my sin, for the sins of the world, both physically and spiritually. We were separated from God, and through his atoning death, he reconciles us to the Father. His resurrection is proof positive that his sacrifice has been accepted. Offering of forgiveness has been given. Therefore, he is literally the door, the only way in. Paul calls it, Paul says that through him we have access to the Father. There is no other way for a sinner, sinful man to approach a holy God who hates and is repelled of sin to enter into his presence but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about more of that when we get into our summer series. So number one, salvation. Number two, safety. Look what it says. Anyone who enters in by me through the door, he will be saved and what? Will go in and out. Okay, what he's talking about is safety, going in and out, being safe. And the contrast is the people in Jesus' day, the ones that Ezekiel was talking about, the contrast is you're not safe with them. They're thieves and robbers. They climb over the wall. They came to hurt you, but I will lead you in and out into safety. Paul wrote in in Galatians, let let me just say this, There, there, there are a lot of dangers out there. There are a lot of false gospels out there. There are a lot of people trying to lead astray God's people. Paul said in Galatians that if an angel came down from heaven and showed up in front of you and proclaimed any other gospel, but that which is in here, let him be accursed, damned. There are a lot of false gospels. It's very dangerous. Jesus warns us there are thieves and robbers, thieves, kleptus, where we get where we get the term kleptomanic, right? Somebody who just constantly steals. Robbers is someone who does it by force, right? It's one thing to go to Marshall's and try on a shirt and then put your shirt over and walk out. Not that I've ever done that. I'm not saying that. And I don't think you should, but that's thievery. It's another thing to walk in there with a gun and say, I'm taking this shirt. He says both thieves and robbers. You know, both of them in Scripture. You have thieves who come along and whisper, did God really say that? And then they teach, and it looks, it looks pretty good. Most of what they say is not that bad. And then they go to the side and teach complete doctrinal heresy against Jesus Christ. There are those, in fact, Revelations 2, Jesus is talking to the church of Pergamum. They're like robbers with guns. He says they have forced their way in. They are a stumbling block. They have people practicing sexual immorality. They are a, a, a ecclesiastical tyranny. They, they set themselves up in the place of God. We see that today. If you're in a church and there's an apostle in that church that speaks for God, run. We don't speak for God. We let God speak. No one has that authority but Scripture alone. We're going to talk about that next year, too. We talk about the Reformation, all right? So you have to be careful. Now, one other thing I want to do, and then we'll go to number three and number four, is Jesus is not saying that you go in and out of the sheepfold, that you're saved and not saved. I see some commentators, some, some of the liberal scholars, 
talk about that Jesus is talking about the sheepfold and being saved and going in and out as if they're in salvation and out of salvation, that you can lose somehow your salvation, which is not biblical. That's, keep the metaphor in mind. The shepherd leads the sheep out and keeps them safe. The shepherd leads them back in at night and keeps them safe. It's safe in and out. It's a matter of just leading through and being safe in and out. Okay, that's what he's saying. In fact, he'll go down to verse 28 in chapter 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. How long is eternal? Okay, eternal. Um, They will never, ever perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, that's, that's pretty clear. Family, you're safe. If you're in the flock of Jesus and he knows your name and he died for your sins and you belong to him, I'm here to tell you, you are safe in his flock. When a man would go out from the countryside back in, in the first century or even before that, when, it, when the rulers had peace among the people and they were loved and they, were, and they took care of the people, men would go in and out of the villages and in and out of the city with peace. When there was war, they would lock down. Jesus says, listen, there is peace. There is peace. You may come and go. The danger, the threat is gone. You are safe with Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says. Come through my door. Come in and out through me. And the wolves and the robbers and those who will harm you will be kept out. You are safe with me. You know what that reminds me of? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's dangerous out there, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen? Salvation, safety, satisfaction. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and what? Find good pastures. Palestine was at a rough place. There were a lot of barren places in Palestine. So anyone who could find a good pasture would done well. Done well. So it, it, it speaks of, good pasture speaks of richness, of, of, of contentment, of well-being, right? King David says, lie down in green pastures, lead me besides still waters. The gospel according to John, over and over and over again, I'm learning, is this. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. He will satisfy your souls. He is the bread of life. Satisfy your hunger. He is the living water. Satisfying your souls. He will lead you in and out of the pastures and give you satisfaction. America is one unsatisfied people. There's a lot of discontentment in America. We are one of the most uncontented people. I've been in other foreign countries. Kids with a stick and a broken can are more happy than kids with motorcycles and all the other things that we get. The truth is, as somebody once said, people today are healthier, cleaner, richer, smarter than they've ever been. They live longer, they eat better, they dress better, they play better than any other time in history. So why then, he says, are so many people so unhappy, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled? Could it be, he says, that we are just cleaner, smarter, healthier, and sad people? What's the problem? It's the door. 
The door. Without Christ, the door we go in and out has all kinds of stuff that we're looking for and not Jesus. We seek to be justified and satisfied in things that are not of God. Remember, even good things, when they become ultimate things, are idols. The human soul is like arms open wide trying to grasp and reach for something to satisfy them and cling to. And when it's not Jesus Christ, it becomes an idol. But Jesus says, go through my door. Not those door, my door. And you'll have green pastures. Remember, sin is not just breaking the commandments like lying and stealing. Sin is not just, done, just, just, sin is not just determined or defined by bad things. It's good things that become ultimate things, that become idle things. At the heart of every one of us, there is a Savior, our own Savior, trying to justify our lives, trying to build an identity, trying to receive value and dignity and worth. And when we seek the Savior outside the real Savior, we find ourselves eating and never, ever, ever being satisfied. That's why you're searching. If you're here and you don't know Christ, that's why. That's why you're never, never satisfied. Maybe for a season, but not the following week, not the following month, and you're in this cycle because your hopes and your dreams are, are, are connected to the power that you have, the approval that you have, maybe even your kids or your spouse or relationships that you're finding your meaning. They're all functional saviors. Martin Luther, talking about the Ten Commandments, says that the breaking of the commandments is really a breaking of the first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me. That door, family, listen, that door that you keep going in and out looking for green pastures, the God of your own salvation will not save you, will not keep you safe, and will not eternally feed your soul. Green plush pasture is what Jesus and Jesus alone can give you, which brings me to the final thing, and that is surplus. Look what it says in verse 10. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that you may have life, and have life abundantly. Now, the word abundant in English means to, to, to rise in waves, a Latin term. To rise in the waves or to overflow, like a river overflowing, there's an abundance. But in the Greek, it has something to do with mathematical um, equation, that there's a surplus. There's over an abundance. Now, please, listen, 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 listen. Do not read abundance of life with the narcissistic prosperity gospel that is being taught in America. Do not read abundant life that way. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the sheep get Maseratis and bigger sheep pens and longer wool, right? That's not what he's saying, okay? The abundant life Jesus is talking about has nothing to do with stuff, material wealth, or health. There are scores and scores of people that have everything and they kill themselves. Right? He's not talking about that. Like the dog who had a bone in his mouth and he comes up to the, to the water and he sees another dog with a bone in his mouth. And he starts gnarling and biting and drops the bone he very had. That's us running around trying to be uh, satisfied in things outside of Christ. The truth is, Many times, the more you have, the harder it is to be content. The harder it is to be satisfied. The more surplus of stuff outside of Christ. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life, abundance of life. The whole picture is that Jesus is the door. 
You enter in. That's the picture with a relationship, what he gives you, what the shepherd provides for you. He's not the genie in the sky. He's the shepherd of the sheepfold. Real beauty, real satisfaction, real abundance, real weight of glory for our lives is knowing, I mean really knowing, eating upon eating upon the glory and beauty of Christ and the gospel so that God's grace is more sufficient for all our needs, more satisfying for me. I want it more and more and more so that nothing can suppress it. The life abundance that Jesus described is a surplus of grace. It is the matchless gift of eternal life, exceeding all expectations, bubbling over. God's favor toward us is unending, and there is a surplus of mercy and kindness and grace for all of us. This whole passage is about sheep knowing the shepherd, daily communion. He cares for them. He protects them. He loves them. He saves them from their enemies. And ultimately from sin, Satan, death, and hell. This abundant life that Jesus is talking about is what you were made for. You and I are made for the glory of God. You and I, when we're living our life for that end, we will know what it means to have a surplus of grace. We will know what it means to be satisfied. The abundance of life is that Jesus, listen to me, is the supreme treasure of your life. Jesus is the greatest joy of your life. Jesus is the only and the greatest reward of the gospel. Jesus satisfies our deep longings and needs. Jesus is more than we could ever need, more than we could ever want. Jesus is the source, the true source of our identity and greatest hope. And giving Jesus all that we have, all our delights and all the purposes of a life and all that we do, then we will know what abundance of life is. When all else is gone, when everything is taken away, when we have nothing left, Jesus, Jesus still is with us. And Jesus means we have abundant life, regardless of circumstances. So, let's close this way. How does Jesus save How does Jesus secure? How does Jesus satisfy? And how does he give his sheep the abundance of life? Verse 11. He lays down his life for the sheep. He lays... One may expect a shepherd to defend the sheep and possibly, maybe, lose his life. No shepherd comes for the purpose of laying down his life for the sheep. For you and for me. Come. Hear the voice of Jesus if you've never heard him. Stop acting like you're a tough tiger and humbly come to the shepherd of your soul. Jesus is calling you. Will you respond? Have you heard his voice? Have you never heard his voice but today? And the Bible says, come. Jesus is calling you to repent, to turn from being your own Lord, your own Savior, and turn from your sin and trust him. Invite him in. He died a substitutionary death in your place so that you may become part of his family, part of his flock. Do you know that this morning? Turn to Jesus. We're going to sing. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge his sacrifice for you on your behalf. And lastly, Christian men. It's Father's Day. Some of you have kids. Some of you are newly married. Some of you are married and don't have any kids yet. And some of you are not yet married. But listen to me. 
I can make an argument in Scripture that we are to shepherd our families. I mentioned it earlier, and I want to call you to that this morning. Love, care, provide, protect, honor, treasure your family, your wife, your children. Not perfectly. I could be a royal idiot. All right? I don't, I don't have none of my family saying amen, so that's a good thing, but they would. <laughs> shepherd your family. If you never heard the voice of the shepherd, come to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful picture that you are our God and our Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this picture that you are the good shepherd. You are the door to the sheepfold, and no one can come in except through you. But Lord, thank you that you call everyone everywhere to turn. Stop trying to justify your own life as a tough guy or a tough girl, but humbly accept the reality that we are sheep. We get lost. We are defenseless. But you, O Lord, you, Lord Jesus, died for your sheep, laid down your life, and took it up again. The resurrection shows us very clearly that we can be forgiven of our sins and belong to your flock. Lord, speak to us today through your word, through the singing of your word, that we may follow Jesus, love Jesus, treasure she Jesus as the only door and the good shepherd. Holy Spirit, come and help us to respond for your glory and our joy.